0: You. It's good to see you. Would you look at the person sitting next to you and just say, You look marvelous. You look marvelous. And the Father loves you. Amen. I noticed that Pastor James, during the announcements, had incredible mic technique. I did not see it leave his chin one time. Very nice. Not easy to do. Um, I want to share with you this morning um, about resting in the Father's faithfulness. Resting in the Father's faithfulness. Um, I want to tell you a little funny story that happened to me when I was new on the mission field to kind of illustrate this. We... Moved to the Dominican Republic in 1998, Cindy and I, and our five-year-old son, Darren, at the time. And we're working in this pretty poor village. And behind the, the, the village was this mountain range that was just incredibly beautiful. Just I, I never grew tired of, of just looking at it and, and just the, the beauty of it. And On the top of one of the mountains, you could see that there was these pine trees that were right on the very top of the mountain. And I would just look up at them and I would think, you know what, it would be amazing like to somehow get to the very top of that thing and walk among those pine trees and just see what that's like, you know. And so I kept thinking about that. And I made friends with uh, just a local farmer guy there in the village. And I said, hey, could you take me up there to those uh, pine trees? And he said, well, when you look, you know, it doesn't look that far, but it's pretty far. And uh, we would normally go by mules if we're going to do that. And I said, okay, well, you got some mules? He said, I got some mules. And I said, all right, let's do it. He said, okay. I said, it's Saturday morning, be at my house at 7 a.m., and I'll have the mules ready, and we'll go. So I showed up early and I got there, and the first thing I noticed is the saddles that they use are different. It's just like this round kind of donut thing, very hard, and it kind of flares up in the front and the back, and that's it. There's no stirrups, there's no place to put your feet, and somehow you've got to balance up there on, on this little round, hard thing. And so we, we start going, and I'm like, well, well, how do you balance? And he's like, well, you can just pinch with your knees if you need to. Of course, he's done it his whole life, and he's like super relaxed, and he's just kind of cruising along. Sometimes he'd hop and go sideways for a while, and then later he was drinking coffee, and you know, and I'm like pinching my knees and holding the range, you know, and I'm afraid of falling off this thing, and the path starts getting steeper. You know, so we're going up, and we, we reach this fairly high place where you could see out over the whole city. And then you could see the Caribbean Sea beyond the city. And it was just beautiful, just amazing. I'm like, this is why I came on the trip, you know. And so we're going along, and it gets even steeper. And it's a really, really steep section. You kind of had to lean forward. And then on the way back down, you had to lean back and grab the back of the saddle to keep from tumbling over. Like, it was pretty steep. But not only was it steep, the, the trail became very, very narrow. So only one mule at a time could Go on there, so you got this very narrow, narrow trail and kind of a, raw, a wall of rock on this side and then a cliff on the other side that just like had no bottom. Like I don't know how far down it was, but you wouldn't survive, you know, if you fell or whatever. So Tulio was the farmer, this guy named Tulio, and he was in front on his mule and I'm on, on, behind following along and I've got the reins of the mule, I'm pinching with my knees And I keep staring the mule into the rock, away from the side of the cliff, right? And um, Tulio noticed all of this. He said, Robert, you're wearing out the mule. Like, you know, she knows the way. But I said, all right, I'll try to relax. And we go a little further, and he looks back. He said, Robert, by the way, if the mule falls off the cliff that way, it's important that you jump the other way, <laughs> and I and I looked at him and I and I called and I, and I said, um, "Tulio, like does this happen often?" <laughs> "No, Robert, no, not too much. No, don't worry, don't worry. But ju- but if it does, just make sure you jump the right way." So now, I'm really trying to steer the mule into the rock, away from the cliff, you know, just really tense. I, I, for, for like two weeks, I couldn't walk after, after the trip. And I thought afterwards, you know, a lot of people live their Christian lives like that. You know, like we, we have these fears of falling in some way. And we're trying to hold the reins of everything and, and, and control everything. And as James has been preaching, you know, God has a rest for us that he wants us to live in. It's, it's uh, easy to say, right? Not so easy to live in. Um, but, but God's heart for us is to trust in his goodness. God's heart for us is to trust that he has our back, that his intentions toward us are good, and that he always wants the very best for us. In, in Romans 8, 14 and 15, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. If you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So this is one of my favorite verses. There's a lot of meat, a lot of interesting stuff in this verse. It says, Who are the sons? That includes daughters those who are led, right? This ability to be led, this ability to not harden my heart, but to stay open, to stay pliable, and to be led. And the challenge to that is reverting back to the bondage of a spirit of fear, right? That's what it's saying in the verse. We have to be on guard against this spirit of fear that can can take over and, and get us out from God's rest and get us out from being led. But, it, but if we can have a sweetheart, if we can be open, if we can be led, we're going to have an experience in the Father's love where we cry out, Abba, Father. So Abba means daddy, if you, if you look it up. So if, if you're crying out, Abba, Father, like that's an experience, right? You don't just cry something out for no reason. You're feeling something, right? You having an experience in God's love. But the problem is, can we trust in God's faithfulness? Can we trust in God's goodness? Can we really believe where it comes out in our actions and how we live our lives that we believe God has our back? And He has our best interest in mind, and He's going to take care of us. But what happens when fears come up? Generally, two things happen when fears begin to take over we can become controlling. I've never done that, but I hear about it. <laughs> we get pushy, right, toward other people, striving, you know, demanding, bossy. Or we can go the extreme other way and, you know, be like a turtle that, that you know, shrinks inside of his shell. Just, we, we just draw back in fear and, and we disappear and we shut down, you know, the, the, the fight or flight. God's heart is we can let go of the reins and trust in his goodness. At one point, Tulio said, Robert, these mules walk this trail every day. He said, you could actually let go of the reins, and we'll get to the top where the pine trees are. The mule knows the way. You don't even have to hold the reins if you don't want to. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I want to look for a few minutes at the example of Moses. So Moses to me is amazing. Moses is if not my favorite character in the Bible, like right at the very top, like, like to me he's just a, this incredible character. Sometimes we think of Moses as maybe having some moments of weakness and stuff like that, but I think Moses was uh, just an incredible person. Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And so you got to think about that for a minute. Moses was raised in the palace. In fact, it says in Acts 7.22, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So, in his younger years, you know, he had a a young man's spirit, and he was highly educated and highly trained. And, you know, he was a guy, like, you know, an important guy, a guy who could speak well and and was well-educated and can get things done, Right? And he had a calling. He had a calling to rescue his people. He started to feel that. And and he knew that God was calling him to do something. And so in his strength, and in his knowledge, and in his ability, he's like, I'm going to do this thing, right? And he sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew, and he kills that guy, right? But then... He finds out that word has gotten out, and there could be big trouble, and so he flees. And he goes to live in the desert and tend sheep for 40 years. And so then we know the story of the burning bush. He has this experience. He's he's 82, 83, 83 years old at the burning bush. So that means he was 40 when he left Egypt, right? Now he's 83. And so, you know, he lived in, in, you know, a position of of a lot of power and authority for a good while, and then he's in the desert, and then he has this burning bush, you know, and we we have the famous verse, Exodus 4.10, and Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. I don't know how I got the King James Version here, but but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So I've, I've heard this verse preached so many times. You know, look at Moses copping out. Where's his faith? What's wrong with him? You know, God's clearly calling him, telling him to do stuff. He's got excuses. That's not how I see this verse. I see this verse as a guy who had a full-on young man spirit who would work hard to make things happen to 40 years in the desert tending sheep and in a place of complete brokenness where he would no longer try to look to his own strength. That he would only, you know, rely on God if anything was going to happen, if he was going to ever accomplish this calling. And then we go on to see, you know, that, that that's what happened. Um... In Numbers 12, 3, it says Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth. I think in the King James, it says he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Can you imagine the most teachable? It goes on to say there that God God says, when I speak to my other prophets and my servants, I use prophecy or analogy or dark speech or, you know, these different things because they'll mess it up. There's too much of them still in the mix. But when I speak to Moses, I can speak plainly as a man speaks to his friend face to face. Does that make sense? The humility and the meekness that was in him, the, 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 the degree that he had died to his own strength and, and, and trying to accomplish things through his own ability was incredible. He could be led, and he was a son, right? And he knew the father's love. The only time I can think of where Moses went to, like, fight or flight was when he struck the rock. But other than that, I, I, don't, I can't think of any examples where he, he had done that. The, the, the people, you know, did all kinds of crazy stuff under his leadership, and he didn't disappear in fear, or he didn't necessarily become demanding and controlling. He fell on his face, and he cried out for them, right? And he interceded for them over and over and over again, and he served the Lord. It's an incredible example to me, and it's kind of a pattern, you know, I think in all of our lives, definitely in my life, I want to kind of share some examples where God's had to do this in me over and over again um, at deeper and deeper levels, you know. Um, Like I said, in, in 1998, we moved to the Dominican Republic. I was 33 at the time very much like a young man. I had a lot of energy. I wanted to get things done. I wanted to make things happen. I wanted to be an amazing missionary, you know, where incredible miracles occurred. And, you know, I was just ready to do this thing, you know. when we got down there. I remember one of the first things that happened. We took over from this other missionary couple, Howard and Edna Gunter. And uh, we had a couple of weeks with them before they returned to the States, and we were fully taking over and uh, Edna makes this comment said in one week you've learned to drive as crazy as as Howard drives after six years (laughs) and there was just all these ways that I would struggle I, I I was brand new so I didn't know at that point a lot about working with other cultures and the differences in cultures and how to interact with other cultures and all these kinds of things and I was always worried about getting ripped off for some reason. <laughs> so you have these motor taxis. We call them conchos. The guy that drives a concho is a conchero. And um, they would see me if I wanted to take a little motor taxi to go do something in town. They would charge me extra. I didn't like that. And I'd try to argue with them with the little bit of Spanish that I had. And uh, I would wait for, no, forget you. I'll wait, I'll wait for the next... Uh, Next guy, see if he'll give me the fare that he charges everybody, you know. Um, And all these little things would happen. Um, It was a different life. There There was really no mail. Like you couldn't just put a, if you had a bill like our electric bill, you couldn't just put a check in the mail to pay the electric bill. We would get our electric bill, and you had to pay it in cash. And so you'd have to go to the bank, cash a check, get cash, then go over to the electric company, wait in a very long line, and, and pay your electric bill in cash. So, my next-door neighbor was the, the uh, manager of the bank, Banco Popular. And he had kids the same age as Darren, and they were buddies, and they played together every day, and he's my neighbor. And I'd be in that line, and I would be determined to be this good, loving missionary there to save everybody and everything, and there'd only be a couple people in line, but 45 minutes would go by. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And and, and then he had an office over here on the on the side with, with a glass window, and he'd be looking out. And and I, I finally I'm like, can you know? And um, the worst thing you can do in Dominican culture is embarrass another Dominican publicly, <laughs> especially as an American, you know, like not good. Um, but I think there was one time he actually came out and helped me get to the front of the line or something like that. It, it was super shameful afterwards, but, uh, <laughs> um, but there was all these ways, you know, I was in the fight, not the, you know, not so much the flight, but the but the fight. I, I just, you know, I, I had to be successful, and over time, I realized so much of that was driven by fear. What if I'm not successful, and what are we going to do, and, and what's going to happen to us, and will we make it, and you know, well, we have to come home, back to Beaches Chapel in shame, you know. Over time, things got better. Um, over time, you, you know, it's, it's like kicking against the pricks, right? You know, I mean, you, you beat your head against the wall day after day after day. You know, the old, the old story after a while, like, maybe, you know, this hurts. <laughs> maybe I should stop, you know, <laughs> relax a little bit. And, and you know, and, and over time that happened, And and God just started putting such a love in our hearts for the Dominican people. Um, Tulio's wife was named Chana. One time after a, a church service, we were in their backyard drinking coffee and just talking. And for some reason, it came out when Chana's birthday was. Come to find out, she was born one day after me. Same year, November 24th, I'm November 23rd. Just casual conversation And we left, went home. For some reason, I couldn't shake that thought, like, wow, here's this person who came into the world pretty much the same time as me, grew up in this really, really poor village. She lived in a house that had dirt floors and palm leaf roofs. Her father was a subsistence farmer. She had about a third grade education. And she was an amazing woman of God. She really was. She was like the church evangelist and just loved God. And I just thought it it could so easily been where I'm born, you know, in her family, and she was born in in my family. And, you know, why does God choose what he chooses, you know? And, you know, we don't know. Um, What we do know is is to be faithful in in where God has placed us and where he's called us and so forth. But for some reason, that just really got into my thinking, and, and it just started producing a deeper love yeah, I mean, God can use all kinds of things, right, to work in our hearts. But it just started producing a deeper love in my heart, and I, and I and I got where I could slow down more. I even got where I, you know I had the thought: if somebody's driving a, a moto taxi for a living, I don't think they're getting rich. More than likely, they're trying to feed their family, or some siblings, or something. And so, if I pay them a, a little bit extra than everybody else, does it matter? does that matter? (laughs) You know, so I got, I just paid them extra. You know, I just, I I just started letting go, you know, some of those things. And and so things got better. And then we got involved in this, we we had a medical clinic in in, in a church. And our medical clinic was in this really poor area where Dominican doctors didn't really want to work there because there's no money nobody's got money to pay for medical care and so it'd be a in these poor areas it would be like the catholic church or a ministry like ours who would you know do some kind of a medical outreach and so we got involved with this government project uh it's a really long story but i'm going to keep it super short and we got involved with the government and this government grant and it turned super political and all kinds of things happened the 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 end of the story is we had to leave the country, at least for a while. Eventually we could go back, but we had to leave the country, and so after being there almost four years, we we move home unplanned, and, and we get back here, and we have nothing. I don't know what the future holds for us. I don't know what I'll do for work. I don't know if there's any way to continue in ministry. We had to lay everything down. I remember um, we're walking in the airport, and we feel like we we just came out of a battle zone, and we've arrived back here to Jacksonville, and I reach for my uh, keys in my pocket, just out of habit, you know, you arrive, okay, i got to get in my car and go home. And all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, there are no keys in my pocket. I don't have a car. Um, Nor do I have a home, for that matter. Um, Nor do we have furniture or dishes or anything else. And it was a really really difficult time in our lives and um some of you were here and supported us uh in those times you know and we're forever grateful for that but so much fear you know that's when i definitely moved into fear at that time that was a wilderness time and and uh, you know i'm like we've laid down our ministry i have no idea where we're going or what the future holds And so in the midst of that, we had a temporary provision of a place to stay and things like that. And there's this one day where Cindy goes surfing. She got back from from surfing, and I got mad at her. And I said, we are in crisis, and you're going surfing. Like, don't you care? Don't you know what we're in the middle of? This is a challenge of our lifetime in faith. Sidney always had more faith than me, pretty much always. In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, those are the rush chapters that we know about. I just want to point to a couple quick, quick things right there. In Hebrews chapter 3, 7, and 8, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. So that's kind of like the first thing God starts to say about rest, right? If I, if I hear him, don't harden my heart, especially if I'm in the wilderness, right? We're in the wilderness at this moment, have no idea what the future holds, the fears are there, You can't even go surfing, like the fears are there. And that's where it's a challenge to, if I harden my heart, I'm moving into independence. That's the opposite of being led, right? That's where I'm moving into this fight or flight stuff. Hebrews 4 and verse 10. He who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his own works as God did from his. I want to kind of focus in on this part. Ceased from his own works. You know, because again, that's kind of what Moses did, right? He didn't shrink back in fear. He kept interceding, interceding. You know, he didn't move into trying to be controlling. He just kept going to God and allowed God to lead him, right? And, and that's the challenge. That's the, I, I don't view this like as a one-time thing, right? This is our lifetime path, that we're growing in this. You know, as the years go by, we're, we're ideally growing in our ability to be led, our ability to, to let go of things. Here's the thing. You really can only have faith in someone you trust, and, you can, and it's hard to trust someone unless you believe they love you and they have the best for you. So, so here's the thing. You know, I can ask any of you, do you believe God loves you? And I'm fairly certain every single one of you will say, of course I do. Do you believe he has the best in mind for you? The bulk of you would probably say yes. I've done a fair amount of prayer ministry with people over the years. There are people, no, you wouldn't believe the stuff God puts me in. I don't, I'm definitely not his favorite. And people say that. <laughs> But I think most of us would say, of course, I believe that God's faithful. He loves me. He's going to finish the work that he began in me. He does have the best in mind for me. Um, He wants to give me a future and a hope and all that good stuff. But our actions reveal it, right? If I'm mad because Cindy went surfing, my actions reveal what I really believe in that moment. You know, if I'm in fear or if I'm keeping my heart soft instead of hardening it and moving into independence. Then I'm doing my own works rather than ceasing from my own works. And and God, what are you saying and seeking to do what he wants me to do in that moment? So we've come back from the mission field. We have no idea what the future holds. Shocker, God had a plan for us all along. But you don't know that in the moment, right? You don't know that in the moment. So we had begun relating to this ministry called Shiloh Place led by this guy, Jack Frost. All of you have heard me talk about him before. He had begun, um, they had done some ministry with us. They had taken Cindy and I through some counseling ministry, and, and we'd been you know, just learning. Um, he, you know, he was one of the pioneers of the, the Father's love message. And so finally I thought, you know, I'm just going to take some action. You know, that's not a bad thing to do when you're you know, in the wilderness and have no idea what's going to happen. Take a step of some kind don't stay hidden in fear, do something. So I went up, Jack lived in, in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and I went up and talked to him. He kind of knew a little bit what was going on, and I told him everything. And he said, well, you know, we've got a conference next week, why don't you come help out? You can help with the book table and help pray for people, stuff like that, and we did that. And that led to helping out again at another conference And then another conference, and some time went by. And then Jack said, hey, we've got this trip to um, Cambodia and Vietnam. We've got groups of pastors in both places who want a Father's Love conference. And um, I'm sending this guy, a pastor friend of mine, and uh, you want to go. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome, you know. So first time ever going to Asia. And it was the first time back on the mission field in like a year. Um, and that was a very emotional trip. You know, the, the Bangkok is the hub over there. You, know, you go to Bangkok and then you go to Cambodia or, or Vietnam. We arrive in Bangkok at midnight and come outside... And taxis are honking their horns everywhere, and people are trying to grab you to ride with them and take their car, you know, use their service, and kids are running up trying to get money from you, and it's hot and steamy even though it's midnight, and there's smells in the air, and I'm like, I know this. You know, I live this, and and, and just being back in it after a year just wrecked me. And that's another story that I, I won't completely get into, but like that was just a major, major moment. And so Jack went on to reveal after some time, he said, we've actually been praying for a missionary couple to join our team because we get all of these calls from all over the world and we we want someone who, of course, knows the Father's love but has experience in missions and working with other cultures to to send and, and do these Father conferences. And it led to this incredible season in our lives where we went to over 30 nations holding Father conferences all over the world. And, and Jack, you know, mentoring us and, and, and helping us and, and so forth. And it was amazing. I mean, just the most amazing season. And I didn't know that when we arrived home from the Dominican Republic, right? I didn't know any of that. I didn't know what the next step was, but, but God was faithful. And I didn't pass the test with flying colors, right? I was fearful in the transitionary time before we knew where things were going. I was very fearful. Um, but I did the best I could, you know, and obeying and in being led, best, even with the fear, being led and taking steps and, and doing what God had. I remember uh, one, one really key event early on in relating to Jack. I was uh, driving up to Shiloh Place in, in, in South Carolina And for some reason, I started thinking about things that had happened in the Dominican Republic and other ministry events that were kind of painful. And I had this thought, you know, for all these years in in ministry, I've always thought, like, I knew everything. Like, I'm going to get things done and handle things, and things are going to be amazing. And I know, I've studied the Bible like nobody else. And I, I know stuff, you know. And so I'm driving along thinking... You're kind of admitting, I guess, you know, this attitude has been in me, you know, which is really born out of insecurity, right? And I'm thinking, Jack has something that I don't have. I see it, I feel it when I'm around him. He's got a maturity that I don't have, and, and, and he's just, there's something about him. You know what? I'm going to shut up, and I'm just going to do what he says, For the first time in my life, I'm not going to know everything, and I'm just going to do what he tells me to do. That decision changed my life in a radical. So much growth happened in those next few years. It was just amazing, just amazing. So then we came home from the DR in 2002. In 2007, Jack passed away from lung cancer, and it was devastating to me. I mean, just devast. I thought we would be working with Jack until retirement. I mean, it was everything I hoped for, everything I wanted. I'm traveling the nations, you know, doing these big conferences full of pastors. And it was great, you know. It was a wonderful time. And I didn't think it would ever end. I didn't want it to ever end. And all of a sudden, Jack's gone. And he passed away. And uh, I remember the last conversation that I had with him. Um, He was really, really sick and not leaving his house. And I had an opportunity uh, to go by his house and spend a few minutes with him. And I said, "Um, you know, this is hard, obviously, but I feel equipped. Like, I I feel like you've given me what you were supposed to give me. And as hard as things will be, you know, I I feel equipped to do what's ahead of me. You know, and, and that was an interesting time. And so we continued traveling to the nations, even after Jack passed. But there was still, it was still kind of a wilderness mentality that I had. I, I still felt a certain aloneness and, and, and some sense of abandonment. You know, I often viewed Jack as like the only male authority who had ever really been kind to me. You know, because I, did, I didn't get that at home. I never got that from some kind of a coach on a sports team. Um, you know, Jack was kind of that first person who, who really invested in me, you know, even when I felt like I was a mess, and he loved me anyway, and, and a lot of growth and maturity occurred. Now he's gone. You know, I'm on my own. Now I got to figure things out, you know. I wasn't really on my own because that's the whole idea of being led, right? The father's there. But I felt like that, and... Um, So time went on, and again, over, you know, some years, I got counseling, grief counseling and other types of ministry, and little by little, things got better, and I felt like the season was kind of coming to an end of just going to a nation, doing a conference, and then leaving, going on to the next nation. Like, it's good, you know, it's fun, you you try to stir everything up, all the pastors cry, forgive their parents, and receive more of God's love, and then you're gone, You know, and and for about a year, I I kept having a thought like, but how much, you know, they forgave their parents great. You know, maybe they know a little bit more of God's love great. But how, you know, one conference, we're gone, maybe never see them again. How how much change could that really do? I mean, is it really changing the way they do church week in and week out because we came and did this one little conference? That thought just was kind of there for about a year. So then I had a trip to Malaysia, and there was a guy there that was kind of a friend. He'd been in a number of different conferences with us. And just this good guy, this Malaysian guy. And um, we had visited this this uh, ministry of some kind where I, the, the founder of the ministry had passed away. But he had done all these different things in the community and had all these spiritual sons. And and my friend says, Robert, I, I see you as... as um, God's going to use you like a father, and you're going to have all these spiritual sons, all these pastors and stuff. And I didn't know what that meant exactly, but it felt right. Like, I didn't know what, how that would unfold or what that would look like, but it, it felt, you know, when you get a word from someone and it just feels like that, that's a word. Even if I don't understand it, I know I'm getting a word from the Lord right now. And so I came home from that trip to Malaysia, and we had been going to the Philippines quite a bit, and a lot was happening over there. And I think, we're supposed to go to the Philippines for a while. Maybe live there for a couple years. So that, that's a big move. You know, we'd been back here. This was 2014, I think. So 2002 to 2014, we were living here again and traveling out. And now all of a sudden, we're going to move back to the mission field all the way in Asia, right? And so I get back, and, like, we'll see what Cindy says. So I get back from my trip, and we go to lunch, Like, I didn't even finish explaining it. And Cindy's like, yeah, we're supposed to go to the Philippines. Like, all right, I think that's a confirmation. I told some other people that I trust that speak into my life. They agreed. And we moved to the Philippines. And this was kind of the next thing that God had for us. And I didn't want to go to the Philippines. From the very start, I didn't want to go to the Philippines. It's not that I didn't like the guy's prophecy. I did. I just didn't want to do it in the Philippines. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long ways away. It's a really long flight, and, and, you know, it just, it was okay. But I knew God was telling us to go, okay? I knew he was telling us to go. So we get there, and we're working with this big ministry that's there that trains pastors all over the Philippines. They go into cities all over the whole country and work with groups of pastors bringing repeated trainings to these guys. So we're, we're working with these guys. So we had an immediate connection that was a miracle. They had recently, they did a lot of trainings on like intercession, praying for your city, and all these kinds of things. Good, good stuff. And they had watched some videos of Jack Frost and the Father's Love, and they wanted that incorporated in their training as well. So here I come, you know, fully trained by Jack, been doing that all over the world for years, and they, they're like, hey, this is a perfect fit. You know, I, I can learn how they're reaching pastors beyond a single conference, which is what I was interested in. They could learn how to train their guys in the Father's love. Beautiful. But there was this other guy there also teaching on the Father's love who was a preacher, and he would preach it. I don't know if you can imagine preaching the Father's love When I say preach, like think of an old-timey Pentecostal church, get your preach on. I mean preach. Stir the emotions, get the buy-in. We're going to believe in the Father's love, right? Come on now. You know, and I hated it. I hated it. Like, that is not how you teach the Father's love. That's not how Jack taught me. I've done years of counseling with people. I know what it takes to get past these childhood traumas and really let the Father's love in and, you know, Preaching's not how you do it. And, you know, they were, they were giving him all these really big meetings that I wanted. And it just irritated me to no end. And I was mad. I didn't want to go in the first place. Now I'm mad that I got to put up with this. And it was going deeper, right? <laughs> Things were going deeper. God was getting deeper at my control issues and my fear issues and my ability to be led, right? Right? And so I was, I, you know, every time, you know, I, I would teach all the pastors in the smaller meetings. You know, if I had eyes to see it, that was really the gold. I just didn't see it because it's not what I wanted. But I would put my heart into every teaching. I would, you know, prepare the best I could. I'd put one foot in front of the other, do what I felt like I was supposed to do, and it was good. I mean, God, God was faithful. We, we had numerous pastors come to us telling us that they had gone home and knelt before their families and asked their wives and their children for forgiveness for how hard they had been on them and how they always made it feel like ministry was more important than they were. I mean, good stuff. Uh, there was this conference we were in up in the mountains, and this older, uh, kind of tiny pastor is just weeping in my arms. I mean, just crying and crying as he's forgiving his father for all this stuff that he had gone through. And uh, afterwards, someone came up and said, do you know who that was? I don't know, just one of the pastors. He's over like a couple hundred churches. He's like he's like the apostle of this whole area. <laughs> God, it's incredible. But the biggest gift that came out of that whole, once, once I got past, you know, I let go of the anger, I, you know, I forgave, you know, I mean, God, it's what you want, not what I want. You know, you're the one that determines where I go in ministry, not me. (laughs) You know, all these things. Their model of reaching groups of pastors beyond a simple one-time conference was like nothing I'd ever seen. And they had uh, teams set up geographically over the whole country, and they would bring repeated trainings to, to these pastors. So we were there for two years, and I had taught them, you know, all kinds of things about the Father's love and how you minister the Father's love, the, the way that we preach the Father's love and how we do the prayers and all these things. And pre- they were doing it. By the time we left, they were, I mean, doing an amazing job. And so we kind of knew our time was up after two years and came back. And this time when we came back, it was not a wilderness experience. It was We knew it was just a transition and, and uh, really felt led to... Um, start doing more meetings in the Dominican Republic again. And we had this model to where uh, with the connections we had, we began going to cities, working with the groups of pastors in that given city with the idea we're going to hit that city again, you know, three, four, five, however many times and and just keep working. You know, and I think at this point we've done like 12 different cities or something like that. Um, Many of them we've already been back to more than once. But that's the idea, that, that we can keep pouring into these guys again and again and not just a one-time event and hopefully actually see a change. You know, there, there's such a, you know, what they've known there is legalism. And it just scares off all the young people. They don't want anything to do with it, you know. And the more they can move into the Father's love, the better their churches go and healing occurs, and you know, and all of these good things. Um, and then at this point, God's really raised up a team so we have uh, five guys that work with us all the time. And they're, they're now doing a lot of the teachings and the conferences and praying for people. And I mean, it's just a joy. It's just a joy to, to mentor these guys. And, we, you know, we, we had a meeting over Zoom last night because we have a conference next week. We're expecting over 100 pastors next weekend And uh, so, you know, we work with our team and and talk about how we're going to minister and how to do the prayers and all of this stuff, and just amazing. And if we can have the worship team come back up, we're going to start finishing up. But what I want to say is God's faithful. You know, I didn't know what would happen after the Dominican Republic, but God had an incredible plan. And I didn't want to go to the Philippines, and I had to get over some anger and some other issues. But what I learned there, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now in the Dominican Republic without the Philippines. Does that make sense? And I could have never went to the nations for Jack had I never been in the Dominican Republic. You know, you don't know all of this at the time, right? At the time, you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? But God has always been faithful. And so we just want to take a little time and minister to you guys this morning. Um, Maybe you can just close your eyes for a moment. Maybe something God is speaking to you this morning that you need to let go of. Maybe there's been some way you've been kicking against the pricks, fighting against something, banging your head against the wall, and God's saying, would you just give that to me? Maybe you've felt for some time kind of in your spirit, you know, I'm just, I feel like I'm striving. I feel like I'm pressing to make something happen. It's not restful. I'm not embracing the rest that Pastor James has been teaching about these past few weeks. Could you just give it to God? It's it's often just a simple acknowledgement. As you're sitting there, Father, I give this to you. I'm going to trust you instead of my own effort. I'm going to cease from my own works, and I'm going to look to you. There might be some of you that have gone the other way. You've kind of shrunken back in fear. As I I was praying for the service this morning, I, I felt like there's at least one person here, maybe a couple. You've been in a job, and you know God's been telling you time's up. But because of fear, you, you haven't made any kind of a change. You haven't taken steps. If that's you, just tell God about it. God, help me. I'm, I'm ready to take a step. I'm ready to make a change. There could be some of you in hurtful relationships. You've been living in a hurtful relationship for some time, and you need to take a step and just stop shrinking back in fear that step could be getting counseling that step could be going to Al-Anon or some kind of 12 step group it could be just getting some ministry from someone you trust we want to ask the ministry team to come up this morning we'd like to pray for you God may be speaking to your heart right now, and you want a pastor or elder to agree with you in prayer. We're available. Invite you to come. Father, thank you for working in our hearts. There's a glorious rest available, a glorious rest, a place of being led, a place of living in peace instead of drama God thank you for helping us to move toward what you have to let go of things to take action to obey to do what we know in our hearts you've been telling us to do